Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from... KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where in our new programming, uh, this provides for us the opportunity to talk the stuff of theology of the body. And we are rounding out our study of the love that satisfies. And for those of you who are faithful listeners, you know well that the love that satisfies is a work uh, that has us reflecting into the first half of Benedict's great encyclical, God is Love, where he discussed uh, the uniqueness and the relationship of eros and agape, eros, that erotic human love, and agape, that divine uh, sacrificial love. And so this is what we are about here on uh, Wednesday nights, Wednesday evenings, Theology of the Body. Now, I do have Derek with me here in studio. Chris is still away with Mono. We continue to pray uh, for Chris Seibert for his healing. But uh, Derek, good to have you with me another evening. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's a... Always a wonderful opportunity to be in the studio with you again, Joseph. Thanks again for having me. Thanks, Derek. So here we are in chapter nine of yeah. The Love That Satisfies, which is the last chapter. And I do think this is significant. When you go into this work, what you see is uh, Christopher West developing uh, chapter by chapter certain themes. And uh, just by way of reminder, the first chapter was about encountering uh, God who is love. So the emphasis, Derek, in chapter 1 was about the encounter. Now, chapter 9 is about our journey in God's love. So you have the encounter, and then you have the journey. This is very important. You know, any good author is going to come full circle with their work. And by that, I mean, at the end of their work, they're going to bring back what they talked about in opening. That's just good writing. I mean, you can go to sacred scripture, you can go to the Bible, and uh, what do you find? But uh, the book of Genesis at the beginning, of course, we know that the word Genesis literally means in the beginning. And of course, at the end, you have what? But the book of Revelation. And if you were to do a careful study of the book of Revelation, what you quickly find is that there is a a profound continuity, <laughs> a seamlessness, if you will, that exists between Genesis and Revelation, a lot of similar language, uh, certainly a mentioning of the woman, and so many other phrases and verses that when you read the book of Revelation, you would find yourself uh, going back to the book of Genesis. God is just not only a good author, he's a great author and the perfect author. And this is why any good author would take their cue from God and uh, come full circle. And, and of course, God, of course, not writing with pen and paper or no. nowadays keyboard and a computer screen, but, <laughs> but with people and their hearts and with their lives, which I think, too, the book that we've been working through is really where this chapter is leading us to, this, this journey of love that God is calling us into. Yeah, that's right, Derek, a journey that always starts with the encounter. You know, we've been talking a great deal on this radio program about the come and see moment about the invitation and the encounter. And as I'm talking about this, I'm made to, to think of a story that it's been a while since I've shared. You know, living uh, just 20 minutes from the home of the Major League Baseball team, Oakland Athletics, I grew up a big baseball fan. And as a teenager, I would look forward to, to one day 
going to an A's baseball game with my son. So when my son Colby was five years old, I was ready to introduce him to the game of baseball. But before I took him to the Oakland Coliseum, I thought I would introduce him to the nuances of the game. I even made the mistake of trying to painstakingly <laughs> teach him about the subtleties of the game, uh, something like the infield fly rule. It was not until I realized that I was actually doing more damage to his interest in the game of baseball than arousing his curiosity that I decided to take him to his first game. I thought that maybe a more intimate encounter with the game of baseball would give impetus into a genuine excitement about the game. So. As the story goes, we set out on our first trip to Oakland Coliseum. And as we walked into the Coliseum, I found myself, there taking in the ballpark through the eyes of my oldest son, Colby. I was watching him light up as he looked out at the beautiful green grass fanning out. I was watching him as he took in the smell of the popcorn and the sound of the crack of the bat. Simply put, in a matter of about 20 minutes, my son, Colby, was hooked. He could not wipe the smile off his face. What's more, just a few innings into the game, it was now Colby who was initiating <laughs> the conversation about the subtleties of the game. What I could not do in a matter of weeks, this more personal encounter with the game of baseball did in a matter of minutes arousing his curiosity into the game that I hoped that he would someday love. It could be said, so to speak, the events at the Oakland Coliseum that day evangelized Colby, which in turn had him disposed to learn more about the nuances of the game, disposed to be, we can say, catechized on the game of baseball. My son had a very real personal encounter with the beauty and the purity of the game of baseball. It's interesting, Derek, Colby could not wait to share his experience with his buddies. You know, there was a certain zeal and uh, excitement he had as he was passing on the experience he had at the Oakland Coliseum. His personal encounter with the beauty and splendor of the game had him, again, dare I say, evangelizing uh, his buddies on the game of baseball. Derek, what I could not do in the description, his personal encounter did in a matter of minutes. And so when you talk about the journey, one must always do it in light of the personal encounter, in light of the experience. So important. And I think that speaks a lot, one, to um, what it means to be a kid and to be experiencing something for the first time. But I think also what the Gospels allude to when they talk about a child like faith. Mm. Because mm. children are so receptive of absolutely everything. Um, and it's important for us to be receptive to the Holy Spirit and receptive to His love. And, you know, to, to transition to excerpt 56 and God is love, or sorry, the love that satisfies. When God commands us to love, He does not demand of us a feeling which we ourselves are incapable of producing. He loves us. He makes us see and experience His love. And since He has loved us first, Love can also blossom as a response within us, which, Joe, you very pointedly drew this analogy of, of your son at a baseball game and, and very much sort of what uh, Pope Benedict is writing about, that experience. Mm -hmm. and, and not that 
and explaining to your son the abstract rules of baseball without that experience, it really got lost on him. And, mm-hmm. and so can love mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. until we experience that. Yeah, that's right. And we must remember that what we're talking about here, above all else, Derek, first and foremost, is that it is a gift. It is first given to us. And as such, it is something that we are called to open up, explore, and to live, right? This is what it's all about. The Christopher West makes the point. You know, God calls us to love as He loves. And this is a pretty daunting thing, because as He loves? Well, what have we been talking about over the past five to six months? This is divine sacrificial love. Is this what you mean? Yes. This is the challenge, Derek, that is before us. This is the mystery uh, that is before us. I mean, to hear those words that I think for some of us we hear so often, you know, 2 Peter 1.4, we are called to participate in the very nature of God, the very divine nature of God. What does that mean? That we are actually called to share in God's divine likeness? That we are actually called to share in this ecstatic, eternal, perfect exchange of love? Really? That's what you mean? Yes. And when you think about it in light of the first three chapters of Genesis, it's, it's exactly what we were created to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as we've been discussing theology of the body, theology of the body, God has created us in his image and likeness, in his image, in his nature. We have been created out of God's love. And so it, it should speak to all of our hearts, this idea of, of really revealing God's nature, because it's that divine nature that we are created from. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And this is love. You know, the first chapter is encountering God who is love. So when you start talking about God, you have to talk about love. And what is love? Love, in its essence, is to will the good of the other. I was reading an article earlier this week, Derek, and it was, it was reflecting into how we as a culture are caught up in the eye. And all you have to do is look at the iPhones, iPads, and iPods, and selfies, and... <laughs> you quickly realize that it's all about the I. But love is not about the I. It is about other. It is about sharing in this perfect eternal exchange of love. And in our eros, in our sexual urge, if you will, what we discover, again, is that raw material that is necessary for that more authentic love to develop. And what do I mean? Well, (laughs) the raw material that is necessary for us to be oriented towards other. That is the beauty of Eros and why it is so necessary, because it opens us up to the divine dimension of love. Well, and it's it's interesting because it seems like whenever I'm here on the show with you, I've just come off of a retreat with my wife, and that is again the case this week. Um, but this retreat was fantastic. It was the start of the Sea Parish in San Francisco, and the pastor there, Father Joseph Ilo, opened the retreat talking about love. And in it, he says that in order for us to say that we love someone, it is not a question then of what that person does for us to earn our love, but what we can do for that person to show our love. Mm. And as I was reflecting on your comment about, um, you know, iPad, iPhone, selfies, on our way home from the retreat, we stopped off at the Golden Gate Bridge on the mm. northbound or on the south side of the bridge going northbound. And of course, there's that little plaza, and you can get a brief history of the bridge. Mm. And we're, we're walking some of the trails down there, and mm. we see all of these people with this 
you know, wonderful, beautiful landscape in the background. Of course, you've mm. got Alcatraz. Mm. You've got the different islands in the bay and, and mm. the cliffs themselves that the bridge is attached to. And, and then yeah. the Golden Gate itself, you know, it's a sight to see. Yes, yes. And all of these people taking selfies in mm. front of it. And it's, it's almost like they have decided to interject themselves into the majesty of that location, into mm. the beauty of that location. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's just so amazing how society does that. It's, it's no longer about what is, but what I am in that. Mm -hmm. And I think, Derek, to some degree, maybe even unknowingly, them longing for the love that satisfies. I'm going to make sure I put myself in this picture to make sure that I'm a part of this beauty with all of its its glory. Yes, there's this orientation of self, and yet at the same time, we go out of our way to make sure that beauty is a part of what we are and what we do. Um, there's this kind of almost tension, I would say. And gosh, Derek, the article that I was reading, it, it initially came out of an experience that this author had of going to a restaurant and... <laughs> <laughs> and sitting down and seeing this large family gathering, uh, and have we not all experienced this, of everyone having their heads down, uh, looking at their phones. Mm. And, and, and mea culpa. You know, I, I think we, have, we are we all, all at do. fault. Yes, it's, it's a challenge. Again, I, I used the word challenge earlier. What does the word challenge mean? Provocatio. Uh, it literally translates to call forth or to call out. You know, we use the word education. What does education mean? Educare, to draw out. Right, we educate so as to challenge ourselves, and this is what this program's about, um, so that we might better understand the ways in which God is calling us out to be a better version of who God is calling us to be. And first and foremost, Derek, it does start with love. Definitely, and it's important to remember that, you know, in in being created, God does not create us because He needs us, mm -hmm. but because His love is so great for us that, in its own way, that that love that God has calls God into action, mm -hmm. into creation. And when when we were speaking of beauty earlier, you can't help but think of, you know, what is the most beautiful thing in all of God's creation? And of course, that being Our Lady, you know, our Blessed Mother, the Mother of God, um, the perfect person born without the stain of original sin. And if you look at her encounter with God's love, so unique in a way, Mm -hmm. to, to literally carry God in her womb, mm -hmm. um, you know, the first tabernacle, so to speak. On this retreat, it was even said that Mary was the first receiver of Holy Communion, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. orally, but, but through her womb. Mm -hmm. um, That's a beautiful image. Powerful. And what an encounter, what yeah. an encounter to have yeah. with our Lord than yeah. to be the mother of Christ. Yeah, and it's uh, something very important to what Christopher West is talking about here, because before we can give, before we can proclaim, we first must, dare I say, be impregnated with God's grace. And this certainly is what is going on with Mary. She was overshadowed with the Holy Spirit. She was impregnated with the Holy Spirit. And yes, she was the first to receive a profound Holy Communion. We have before us this call, Derek, to understand the relationship between uh, receiving and giving, uh, contemplation and action, uh, the gift and the task, the in God for other, the coming to know Him to make Him known. This structure of our faith is quintessential to better understanding what this chapter is about, because before we can, again, give love, we must first receive this love. 
and, and a love that is planted deep within. This is something that has been given to us at baptism. And when we realize what is on the other side of the gift, that is the joy that Christ promises and Paul echoes time and time again, then yeah, this is something that we long for. This is something that we desire, even if, even if it is sacrificial, even if it is about suffering. There's a great paradox in the crucifix, Derek, a tension because of the relationship between joy and suffering. Yet what we come to realize is in that tension, in the doing of the Father's will, there is a peace that overshadows us. There is a joy that wells up within us, that sparks new life within us and certainly those around us. Well, and it's important to think about that, especially as we've been, you know, kicking off the Easter season. Um, If you were to somehow have just the resurrection without the crucifixion, then without that suffering, that joy is has less meaning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you need that suffering. You need that self-gift for the resurrection to have meaning in our lives. Because if Jesus were to die of natural causes or of illness and then resurrect from the dead, sure, certainly miraculous. But the fact that he would willingly allow himself to die in the manner in which he is killed, then suddenly the joy of the resurrection has a completely different meaning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Derek. And as many theologians have noted, the scandal of the resurrection isn't that he, you know, he was raised from the grave. That's pretty amazing, yes. But it's what preceded it. And what preceded it was, as you just mentioned, Good Friday. <laughs> Why do we resist the resurrection? Because of its implication. New life, yes, but the death that precedes it. And what do the seasons teach us from spring to summer to fall to winter? If there's going to be a new season, there must first be a death to the previous season, if the season is going to be what in the natural world it is called to be. And so, Derek, yeah, you better believe it. (laughs) What you speak to is very important, especially when you start talking about the love that satisfies, because in the new life that shoots forth from the death, I'm even thinking of Isaiah 11, 1, the great prophecy, where we have Isaiah talking about uh, the branch shooting forth from the, the stump of Jesse's tree. Of course, when you talk about Jesse's tree, you're talking about the 12 tribes of Israel that were broken. Well, there's going to be new life coming from brokenness. huh? And oh, by the way, the Hebrew word for Nazareth uh, literally translates branch. Uh, there must be death before life. That's the joy. Well, and I think it's interesting, you know, we see Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus from the branch, so to speak. But if we can even look to it to where Jesus was born and and drawing that line to the Eucharist, Bethlehem, city of bread, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that when Jesus says in John 6 that I am the bread of life, well, where would the bread of life come from other than the city of bread, of course? Yeah. Um, And so in in this new life that we have with Christ, we must die to ourselves for the sake of God, of course, but also for the sake of others. You know, this... To be encountered by God's love should not only change us, but should instill in us the desire to to bring that love to other people. Um, you know, I think of the first Spider-Man movie back with Tobey Maguire. It seems like almost, you know, 10 or 15 years ago now. <laughs> which for me, being only 26, is quite a while. Um, but, you know, that line from Uncle Ben's character, with great power comes great responsibility. That's right. But, you know, dare we change it? With great love comes great responsibility. 
Well, and that's the essence of theology of the body, because we must remember theology of the body springs forth from John Paul II's work, Love and Responsibility, echoing <laughs> Uncle Ben, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> if we dare go that far. You know, you, you talk about the, the desire. I go back to, to the analogy with my, my son. He wanted, he desired to uh, share with his buddies about his encounter that he had. And yes, it's, it's an analogy, but I speak to the game of baseball as I did, to what's left of its purity and to what's left of its beauty. When we encounter the fullness of beauty incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ— we don't have to do something. We want to do something. We desire to love. And that, that is the grace. That is the joy that just, again, it just naturally springs forth. Well, and you know, and I, I can't help but think of any of our listeners who, you know, maybe have not had a lot of encounters with Christ in a personal way. And, you know, for some people, that first encounter can be very meaningful. Mm. But for some people, it's not until the fifth, the sixth, you know, the ninth, the tenth, the twentieth encounter with Christ, Mm -hmm. that they really receive that joy, receive that sense of mission. And I think for all of us, it's important whether we've, you know, been involved in our relationship with Christ for 30 years or for three months, that we keep coming to Him every day looking for that encounter. Mm -hmm. You know, as great as consolation from God is, God is not a God of consolation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, this this chapter goes into a little bit with um, sentiment. Yes. And yes. consolation can definitely be that sentiment from God, that initial spark. Mm-hmm. But like before, when we've talked about eros, it's not supposed to just stay there. It should lead no. to agape. Yep. yep. should lead to that fuller love. Yeah. That deeper love, that sacrificial life-giving love. G.K. Chesterton was once talking about this, and he says, you know, for those who have not tried divine sacrificial love. It is mocked, persecuted, and spit at. Yet for those who have tried it, for those who have sought the adventure of what this life-giving love is all about, yeah, you never want to turn back. And does this mean, as you speak to it, it is going to be this 24-7 joyous occasion? No, not no. Love is hard work. Yet in that gift of giving yourself and all of its difficulty— there is something on the other side of it that is life-giving, and that, that is what is so important to uh, this chapter, because when you start talking about you know, the journey of love, it really is, Derek, a journey. Uh, we are constantly, gradually being transformed, and in that gradual transformation in Christ, what we quickly discover is that the fruit of that transformation is a gradual giving of love, and we go deeper and deeper, and deeper. In the opening, I said, you know, love is mystery, and, you know, we encounter this mystery, and what happens is we quickly find out that (laughs) the more we come to understand the inner life of God and His mystery, the more we come to understand how little we know, and ultimately leaves us wanting more. And Thomas Aquinas, highlighting that point, says, you know, as that truth is overarching, what we come to know is that... uh, our charity, our love, our gift-giving is simply God crowning His own gifts. Well, and, and to speak to Journey, I just kind of got this image of, of being on like a road trip, you know, whether it's across country or across state or in its simplest way, a road trip works because the tires of the vehicle you're traveling or your feet or whatever are encountering the road constantly. 
Mm. And, mm. and so in our spiritual life, we must constantly be taking our soul to a place of encounter with Christ Jesus. Mm. And at, at God's discrepancy, those moments can be these transfiguration-like moments, or they can be like pro- the, you know, the prophet Elijah climbing the mountain. God in the quietness of of that voice. Yes, yes. And it's not for us to demand either one. It's it's God's gift to us. Mm-hmm. It's for us to be disposed to receive as He wants to give. This is the great Marian moment, is it not? Uh, if we were to uh, pull back a little bit here, Derek, and appreciate the Marian dimension versus, as Christopher West talks about it, the Peter dimension, the Marian dimension being the receiving of the gift and the Peter dimension being the proclaiming of the gift. Uh, Certainly, we are all called to receive and to proclaim, but these two figures highlight that. What we are made to to understand and appreciate is uh, the Marian dimension of being disposed, her interior attitude of faith. She was in relationship with God, but not yet in action. She is disposed to receive what the, the great message of the Annunciation was all about, and she did. She inquired... She inquired, not doubting. Zechariah doubted. She was seeking understanding. In this sense, Mary was the first theologian. Mm. We, we, just, we define theology as you know, fides, quorens, intellectum, faith seeking understanding. She was the first theologian in this sense as well. Very archetypal in every way is Mary. Seeking understanding. She says, I know you're going to do this, but I know not man. How will you do this? She was seeking understanding. She was disposed to receive the gift of truth, the gift of love, so that in turn she might understand the journey before her. And and you see that so well in the Gospel of Luke. You know, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and his response is, Hail, full of grace. And Mary's immediate response is not to ignore or to walk away, but what kind of greeting is this? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Gabriel proceeds, you know, be not afraid. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will raise a child. And at the conclusion of their conversation, Mary's fiat, let it be done to me according to thy word. You know, that receptivity that you were speaking to, mm-hmm. that receptivity that we should all strive to sort of follow. Mm-hmm. And out from that receptivity to enter into uh, the great responsibility that comes with it, the responsibility of the journey itself. <laughs> what did she do? Did she just kind of hang out with her, her mom? No. She got up immediately, right, immediately to visit her cousin. She knew that with the gift came a task. She knew that with the gift came a proclamation, a proclamation of some extraordinary news. And this is the dimension uh, that we enter into and why she is so archetypal to this journey that is before us, a journey in his love. And to just take that one train of thought a little bit further, even after Christ is born, you know, Joseph and Mary take him to the temple to be presented, and you have the prophet Simeon there. Mm, mm. And and even with that sort of dark, scary message that Simeon portrays to Mary, you know, mm. and a sword will pierce your heart, mm. does that scare her away? No, of course not. The Blessed Mother continues to be in her relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, with that, Derek, I think we are out of time. Uh, We'll just go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. Thanks again, Derek, for your gift of time. Always appreciate it, and certainly look forward to having you on uh, next time. All right, let's close the word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.